Welcome to it. Another week is upon us. I am Derek Hunter. This is the Derek Hunter Show podcast for what? The 8th of August, 2022. Happy Monday. Yeah. Monday, Monday, Monday. Yes. Thank you for tuning in, downloading, sharing, telling a friend, all that good stuff. Action-packed program, as always. At the end of the show, we will give away one of the signed books, either former Vice President Dan Quayle or current Kurt Schlichter, Kurt Schlichter. Uh, signed books at the end. You'll find out whether you won or lost. Well, I guess you just didn't win. There's only one. And you'll find out what the next book is on The Price is Right. I'm recording this part, the intro and the exit, at about 9 o'clock on Sunday. The rest of it I recorded early on Saturday because we had an action-packed weekend that perhaps someday I'll bore you with the details. Anyway... Let us get on with the program. Uh, just uh, massive storms last. Uh, supposed to be all weekend, Thursday through this morning to, to tomorrow. To every and so I'm out driving in it. Just really quickly, point of personal privilege. Just because I, I always get the emails. Oh, I don't want to hear about this. And I get a bunch of other emails going. Ah, I really enjoy it. It humanizes it humanizes me. Am I un- inhuman? Other times, don't answer. Probably, but don't answer. I had to drive to Arlington, Virginia. I think it was Arlington or Alexandria. Arlington, whatever it was. Somewhere in Virginia. Long way away. Hour and a half with traffic because nobody in Washington, D.C. knows how to merge. And everybody sucks but me. I get all the way down. My friend is going to buy a car. He's going to... It's a Elantra or something. I don't remember what kind of car it is. I don't think it was a Hyundai... But he was going to buy a car, and he was all set to buy the car yesterday. He had the car picked out. He'd picked it out online. He's ready to go at Nissan Altima. That's right. So we go to the Nissan dealership. He's got the car in mind. He's there. He's got it arranged. He's going to test drive it, and then he's going to pretty much buy the car. He's got it, got it ready to go. We get there, and this guy is that he's been dealing with over the phone acts as though he just... I don't know, fell out of space. This is why I hate used car deals. There are things I hate buying. Cars, and I hate buying furniture, new furniture. Why? Because you go in there like, well, this couch is $7,800. What does it do? Does it like massage you? Does it pay your bills? What the hell? No, no, no. That It's on sale, though. It's 80% off. If something's never full price, it's not a sale. It's just trying to make you think, oh, wow, what a wonderful deal we've had. So you get to the car place, and immediately the sky opens up, right when we're pulling into the lot. So we've got to swim to the door. We're soaking wet. And uh, the guy acts like he didn't know anything of what about anything. Huh, what? Okay, well, uh, you want to take it for a test drive? He wanted to start doing paperwork. He's like, dude, never even seen the car in person. Kind of like kind of an important process, part of the process. So he goes and looks and we're out standing around in the parking lot and he comes out and he's clicking some, you know, the the key fob thing, looking for a car, looking for what we assume is the car. And he goes up to a blue car. Now, the car that my friend Todd was looking for is supposedly silver. 
And the guy goes, well, you, you wanted the blue one or did you want the white one? And Todd goes, the silver one. Now, all of this has been discussed. The silver one. Oh, okay. He goes back in and he comes out with uh, another set of keys. Or actually, no. He goes, I have to go to the other lot on the other side of the street. Got a, a supplementary lot. Because the nearly, I don't know, half-empty lot that we were in didn't couldn't house all the cars. So he goes over the lot over the other side of the car. We're looking at the blue car. Todd's like, this is a pretty nice, it's the same kind of car. It's uh, one year one year older, but it's a more loaded. He comes back, comes walking back across the street after like five minutes with no car. Like, what the hell? Uh, we didn't have the uh, keys over there. And then he goes, by the way, the car that you want is at a lot an hour away. You have a third lot, the half-empty lot across the street, the half-empty lot that we're in, and then you've got a third lot, God knows where, an hour away. That is where the car that was all set to be test-driven and purchased today is, right? Well, I can go get it if you want it, but I need to know if you want it. See, we had a lot, and he starts giving us his sob story about how, well, we had a lot of people come in and look at cars, and they go, they want to see this car, they want to buy this car, and so we called it, we drive an hour down there and drive an hour back to bring the car back, and they changed their minds. And so I'm thinking, well, that's a really good argument against having a lot where you store the cars an hour away, not an argument for why you're so lazy and you don't have this thing ready to go. Like, you keep them closer so people don't have a chance to change their minds and or think about it too much, or maybe there's something wrong with these cars in this lot. Maybe they show up and they're all scratched and dented or something. So he goes, he's willing... Like he's doing us a favor. He's doing his job, theoretically. But he, well, I'm willing to go down there and get it. I'm, I'm willing to stay late. It was like 6.30 at this time. And I'm willing to stay late to go through all the paperwork, but I got to know that you're going to buy it. My friend's like, I, I have to see it. I have to drive. He goes, we can drive another one here. It's the same thing. It drives the same. Like, that's not... And I'm sitting there laughing. I'm making all sorts of comments. And I'm like, that's not how it works. You know, just because one car of that model works doesn't mean the other one hasn't been wrapped around a telephone pole and doesn't drive like crap. So Todd says, well, how about we drive this one? How about I look at this one while we're here? It's a nice car. And why don't you tell me the price? And the guy wouldn't tell him the price. He gets the keys. He shows him everything around. He goes, it's got this thing and it's got the other thing. And look at the trunk and there's extra floor mats. And wow, he opens up the hood and he's like, look at that engine. It almost looks brand new. And I'm thinking, you clean the engine. I could clean the engine of my car and make it nice and shiny. I just don't because I'm not going to pop open the hood and go, hey, ladies, look at this engine. Who cares? <laughs> as long as it works. Like It's so shiny. Yeah, but it doesn't turn over. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. It's so shiny. So we take this thing for a test drive. It works fine, obviously. It's a nice car. And Todd's like, well, I'd be interested maybe in this car. Just depends on the price. The next 45 minutes was spent talking about how wonderful the car was and financing. And it's like nowhere did he tell him the price. It's like, where? what is the price? The car that he was going to buy was $25,000. The car that we were going to that we took a test drive in, different model, one year older, but fewer miles. 
It finally comes out and it's thirty one thousand whatever dollars. And Todd's like, No, I'm not gonna I'm I'm ready to pay twenty five thousand today. I'm not going over, I'm not gonna Well, what what are you worried about? It's like he's worried about the final price. Guy's like, Well, you you concerned about the monthly payments? Like, no, I'm not concerned about the monthly payments. I like I want the monthly payments to be a certain thing. I can put down whatever you want. Doesn't matter. I don't want to pay that much for a car. I can understand that, being somebody who's got that cheap mindset and once you get your mind set on something you're not willing to go over it and a guy's like well let me see what i can do 20 minutes later he comes back over with the finance guy same price just they're going well how, what if we do 87 months payment or whatever I'm like no that you're missing the point the point is the final price and they all seemed confused by the finance guy more confused than anything else he's like we want i thought you were going to see the manager about if he could do anything better than the price. If they'd have come down to like, I don't know, 28,000, 27,5, Todd probably would have bought that car. He would have walked out of it. And he goes, Oh no, 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 no. I thought we were trying to work out the payments to get him to a certain level. I'm like, no, where would you get that idea? What, what is wrong with you people? The salesman did not hear anything we'd said to him for over an hour. Nothing. And he goes, well, I don't know. All we can do on the price, like uh, I couldn't, I don't have thousands to move on the price. I can maybe, we got hundreds as far as wiggle room goes. And I'm like sitting there going, you got, first of all, you got tax, title, destination. That adds like $2,000 to it, right? All that's crap. All that is crap. You could waive all that stuff right away and you'd be at least well on your way. But the idea that, oh, we could only got uh, hundreds, we could possibly do it not thousands i'm sitting there thinking i almost said it and i wish i'd said it i said so you're telling us that you somebody came in and you gave them like twenty nine thousand five hundred in trade on this thing or in cash for this thing and so you you don't have any wiggle room more than a couple hundred dollars like that's it that's all you got because i'd have a hard time believing that but if that's the case I'd almost be tempted to sell the car I drove us there in. If they're paying that much money, I'd be tempted to go, you know what? See that Kia out there? You could uh, you could have that for a huge chunk of money too. Needless to say, everybody was confused, including including the salesman who could not have been more informed than any, everybody else in the plant. There's nobody who knew more, maybe Todd. But they talked three times or two times, exchanged a text message earlier in the day. You're coming out. You're going to be here, blah, blah, blah. This car, ready for it. Didn't have the car. I'm thinking at this, actually earlier, I'm thinking bait and switch, bait and switch, obvious bait and switch. It didn't, we didn't get switched. He's allegedly going back today. They will, uh, according to the salesman, I love it when they, I love it when people doing their job make it seem like they're doing you a favor. Like you make commission, dude. You don't get paid squat unless you sell this car. And like, well, I will, uh, I will go down to the lot first thing in the morning and I'll bring it back. I'll have it here by 10 a.m. When can you be here? My friend Todd's like three o'clock. All right. Well, I'll be here at 10. Like, okay. I don't care. <laughs> I said, I'll come in early. To, I don't. As long as it's here by three, it doesn't. I can get here at three. Nothing. Well, I'll be here at ten. I bet you that there's a good chance that when Todd shows up at three, they go, "Well, 
that beauty of a car was sitting around the lot and somebody came in and said, I got to have that. And they bought it. And I'm sorry. And oh, shucks. But if you're willing to go to 30, we can get you into this blue car. It's a nice car, but it, Todd didn't want to spend 30. I can, can't blame him. You get certain things in your mind and you're like, I'm going to spend this much. Sometimes you can go a little more, but if it's like maybe a couple hundred more, but not five, five grand is nothing to sniff at. So he's like, I'm not going to do this. It's the worst. Ex- I just, I, I had a good time because it wasn't my experience. I gave myself all the credit in the world. I kept telling Todd on the way home as I was driving home, I said, I'm the only reason you didn't drive out of there with that car. I'm the only reason you didn't get suckered into that. He was getting a little irritated by that. So that just made me want to do it all the more and say it all the more. But it was, a complete waste of time. A complete, well, let's see, it was an hour and a half to drive there. And then from Todd's house to that place was another probably 45 minutes. And it was probably two, two and a half hours at the lot. And then all that time to get back. All wasted because this idiot car dealer is like, well, you, you wanted which? You mean you wanted the car that we'd been talking about expressly and exclusively? You were serious about that? Oh, well, I could. Like, what? Why do you have your cars an hour away? This is why I hate buying cars. I'm doing you a favor. I'm going to go get that car, but only if you buy it. Well, I'm not going to buy it if it comes up and it's got three wheels and rusted out and drives like crap. And once you get over, you know, 50 miles an hour, it starts to shake like California during a, an 8.7 on the Richter scale. I'm not going to buy that car. I don't care how long you had to drive. You had to chopper it in from Vietnam. I don't care. Never. This is why... Like uh, for all these other dealerships, or like the price you see is the price you pay. That I kind of admire because you don't have to sit there and haggle. We can only go down. We can only see if we sell this car for less than forty eight dollars, then forty eight dollars less than we've got on the sticker price. We'll be taking a loss. Yes, that's exactly how car dealerships operate. Those are the margins they work on. Everybody knows that. That's why you're constantly, you know, sitting there eating ramen noodles in the dealership that you're in the midst of remodeling. Idiots. Anyway, that was my day. (laughs) How was yours? Anyway, let's uh, get on with the news ladies and or gentlemen because there is a lot of that going on the democrats have a deal on the build back better thing now they call it the inflation reduction it doesn't do a damn thing to to uh, anything about inflation all it does is spend more money all it does it is a payoff to democrat donors democrat supporters it's a hell of a bargain if you are a democrat in good standing get ready to uh well, you won't get anything because you're not a Democrat donor. If you're a big Democrat donor, you might be on your way to uh, nice government contracts and what have you. But uh, Kirsten Cinema has come out and said that she supports the piece of legislation, the Inflation Reduction Act, because they changed a ta- carried interest tax. Like, what? You, who cares about that? It spends a fortune. It does nothing but add to the deficit, add to the debt, and they go, well, at least uh, we've got a deal. I don't get it. And what's funny is they're never going to love her. They're never going to love Mansion. This will harm the uh, coal industry, which is the lifeblood of West Virginia. Yet it will harm the coal industry long after Joe Manchin is probably dead, certainly after he leaves office. 
It's down the road a few years. So he won't care. He doesn't care. It doesn't matter. Not going to be hit with the uh, the consequences of it. That's really what Democrats, that's what most legislation is, really. Especially the big legislation they don't want anybody to read. If you're proud of what you're doing, if you can make the case for what you're doing, if you know that you have public support for what you're actually doing, not the garbage you say you're doing, you don't do it in the middle of the night. You don't start moving on a piece of legislation before the legislation is actually written. There's no language right now. They're going to have a procedural vote on Saturday is the plan to uh, move along the process. There will be nothing written, but the, all the Democrats, all 50 Democrats go, this is the piece of legislation that we need. And I would ask them, if I'm a reporter, and thank God I'm not, but if I'm a reporter up there on Capitol Hill, I'd ask a simple, basic question. On what's your favorite part of this legislation, and on which page can I find that language? Now they'll they'll be able to answer the first one because it's like arguing about you know what you see in the clouds. It's like well I see Homer Simpson in the clouds up there. Okay, where? Right there, over there, right next to the uh, whatever the other. No, okay, that's in the eye of the beholder. But when you say then what page number is it on, and can you send me the piece of legislation so that I might be able to read and convey to my readers the page, the actual language, so people know what's going on. Then suddenly, it's a different ballgame. Why? Because it doesn't exist yet. It doesn't exist yet. It's not out there. <laughs> so uh, where do you go? What do you do? How do they defend that? How do they answer that question? And does it matter? Is there a constituency left in this country interested in the reality that the United States Congress is going to spend hundreds of billions of dollars, trillions long-term, hundreds of billions of dollars just over the next 10 years on top of the trillions they've already spent, and nobody has any idea how it's actually going to be spent. All the negotiation was in the concept stage. The tough get. Oh, he's such a tough get. The tough get that is Joe Manchin. Oh, he played hard to get. He played. He held out for a huge... He will be voting on a piece of legislation he did not read. He will not have time to read this piece of legislation. The United States Senate will not give itself time to... Now, if the Democrats have the votes, if they have all 50 United States senators plus the vice president all lined up and ready to go. There is no reason to not say, all right, and we'll give you three days to read the bill, right? What's the? It's going to pass anyway. We all support it, and we're super proud of it, and we don't want anything hidden in there. So uh, we don't want any surprises. So you guys, you take your time. Get out your pipe and your smoking jacket. Sit down in your nicest chair and read this piece of legislation, and you will see that it does wonderful things and only wonderful things in perpetuity, and it shall save the republic. Go ahead. They won't do that. They will be voting on a piece of legislation that will more than likely still be coming off the printer. They will print the first page and uh, stamp it and sign it and submit it in the cloakroom and say, yeah, there's another 1,200 pages to come, but don't worry. There's the first page with the bill number on it. It's been introduced. Now let's vote on passage. Regular order, by the way, is we have this concept, we have this bill, it has been introduced, 
and then it has been assigned to a committee. That committee will then hold hearings on this bill to see what people think of it, to help inform the public, blah, blah, blah. Then they will do what's called a markup, which would be a marathon session where each individual portion of the bill is sort of looked at and changed, amended, whatever, where they vote and vote and vote in committee. And then it goes to out of the committee, provided a majority in the committee, support it. Since the committees are 50-50, that wouldn't happen. The leader, the majority leader in the Senate could then bypass that vote and bring it to the floor anyway, but it would have been fully transparent. That would be regular order. And then they would vote on it there. And actually they would have an opportunity, all members would have an opportunity to amend that bill on the floor of the Senate before final passage. None of that is happening. All of it is being short-circuited to the point that Manchin and Cinema, who are sitting there going, well, I'm on board with this piece of legislation, are on board with this piece of legislation insofar as and only insofar as they take Chuck Schumer's word for what's in it or what will be in it. There's nothing in it right now. It's like giving somebody a ream of paper and saying, I want to buy your book. Here's, your, here's my book. It's a ream of paper. Give me $100,000 for this book. It's a great novel. It'll, it'll be a movie franchise. It'll be wonderful. Like, well, all this is is a ream of paper. Just, right, but if you give me that $100,000, I will fill up those pieces of paper with some of the best words. If Tom Clancy would have never seen anything, the likes of the words I will put on those pieces of paper. Well, why don't you put the words on the piece? Take your time. Give me a hundred pages, right? No, 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 no. You don't understand how this works. I have a gentleman's agreement with myself, and I will shake your hand as well and pinky swear that I will give you a great, great novel. So just pull out that checkbook and write a check. And publishers at uh, Cinema and Mansion Books are going, well, let me grab a pen. Let me see this thing. Yeah, let's just sign up this sucker right here. Hundred thousand. Let's make it hundred twenty thousand dollars. Because why not? This is, you promise us. This is going to be great. Nobody in their right mind would do it. Nobody honest would do it. Nobody honest would do it. Nobody interested in making sure that they are uh, trustworthy public stewards of our money would do it but they went through the kabuki theater these are all concepts by the way that both of these people have rejected in the past and they're on board with it now why do you suspect that is well it's party loyalty democrats are in tough shape there's not a lot going on positive for democrats joe biden is uh, less popular than toe jam and kamala harris toss-up but it's still close so they need some kind of victory the party needs some kind of victory something they can hang their hat on something they can get their base excited about we did this and we're gonna do more you just keep us in power and so they threw away their concerns at least the concerns they pretended to have and said now we uh now we've changed there's no real substantive changes to what they opposed before and what they have now, just in polling and the looming election. So when you hear these two senators 
portrayed by their moderates. They are moderate. No, they're not really moderates. They're every but the, the party hacks that everybody else is. They just held out longer. All right? They held out longer. That's it. They didn't give it up on prom night. They gave it up in the morning after. The end result is the same. Really quickly, I make no uh, bones about the fact that I'm a cat person. I like dogs, too, but dogs, you can't go away for the weekend with dogs. You gotta take your dog with you. You gotta find a hotel that'll take your dogs or go over to your friend's house. And you're like, oh, you mind if I bring the dog? No. Or you gotta bother somebody to come over every couple hours to let your dog out. But even I have some limits. CNN business reporting. Cat food brand Fancy Feast is expanding into feline-inspired human cuisine with a New York City Italian restaurant designed to celebrate the company's new line. Gatto Bianco, which means white cat, is described by Fancy Feast as an Italian-style trattiora and will be open for dinner reservations on August 11th and 12th, according to a news release. The human-friendly dishes were inspired by Fancy Feast's new medley cat food line, which features options like beef ragu recipe with tomatoes and... I'm not eating... Uh, look, when I have had... Uh, I had mostly dogs sitting, because when we had dogs, when I was a kid, we fed them the hard food. But every once in a while, I'd dogs hit, especially for the little cocker spaniel behind us, hop the fence and play with Sandy was the dog's name. You open up a can of that food, you dump it out, you're like, wow, this looks like, uh, this looks like a can of chunky soup. Not too bad. In a post-apocalyptic world, I'd probably try this. I didn't, because we don't live in a post-apocalyptic world, but I will never try, you know, like, you know what, I'm going to go to that restaurant that is inspired by cat food. No. Hard pass from me. Now that we've covered that I won't eat cat food, although I did have a friend when I used to play in Euchre tournaments in Detroit every uh, Wednesday at a bar called Chicks. Uh, good friend, Mike. He got himself a Labrador. Great dog. And I'd sit there in his kitchen. It might have been 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. Weekday. I was in college. What are you going to do? Class was always attendance optional. And drunk out of our gourds having just, we cheated at Euchre. I know how to stack a Euchre deck. Um, and we were always partners. We had signals down. It's Euchre, everybody cheats. That was what we justified it as. He's sitting there giving his dog huge puppy milk bones. And then he just chomps into one. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? What are you doing? Like, I'm drunk too, but I'm not going to eat a milk bone. He goes, I don't give my dog anything I won't eat myself. And at the time, I thought, that may, that's cool. That's cool. And now I think that's insane. <laughs> but, yeah. So, to each their own. If you want to go to the Fancy Feast restaurant, uh, get your reservation. Because I guarantee you, in New York City, the reservations are going to fill up quick. It's a novelty. There'll be press there. There's a whole bunch of weirdos. I'm pretty weird when it comes to cats, but I'm not going to uh, not going to go to a cat food themed restaurant. Uh, we have new employment numbers, and uh, there will be much rejoicing about this. The weekend will have been spent rejoicing. I guarantee you this. Chuck Todd right now is uh, is aroused at the prospect of talking about these numbers. But the truth, as is often the case, 
it lies a little deeper than the superficial, which is what the media specializes in when Democrats are in charge. They say 528,000 jobs in July. That's huge. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. The unemployment rate is 3.5%. That's a record low. That's the lowest that has ever been recorded. Yeah, it ties the three times it was recorded under Donald Trump. The only time 3.5% unemployment rate has been recorded in this country's history, and they only go back to like the 60s when they were started calculating the unemployment rate like this, was in 2019, twice, and 2020, just before the pandemic. So, yeah, it's done four times, three times or under Donald Trump. Three times under a Republican. Do you remember the media going, oh my goodness, it's historic. It's what? No, we really don't. They mentioned it, but they moved on quickly because they didn't want Donald Trump or any Republican to get credit for it. But the uh, devil, as always, is in the details. 528,000 jobs. Well, now you sit there and you go, how is that possible? If you look at the numbers, 136,000 fewer people are employed than they were in May. You're like, what? Well, Charles Payne of Fox Business breaks it down. Full-time jobs were created. They actually lost 71,000 full-time jobs. Lost 71,000 full-time jobs, a net loss. Well, how does that, full-time jobs, that's theoretically what you want, right? Isn't that the good, yeah, well. Part-time jobs that were created, 384,000 part-time jobs. Barack Obama was exceedingly good at creating part-time jobs as well. So I guess that continues. Democrats give you a bunch of part-time jobs. And the number of jobs held by people who already have jobs, meaning people with multiple jobs, increased by 92,000. So you sit there, I guess maybe it was 72,000 plus. Let's just see. So you see, if you go behind the numbers, you start to see that maybe it's not, look, it's better than nothing. It's better than in the opposite direction. More people working is definitely better than fewer people working. But the truth, as always, is a little bit deeper, a little bit different. That Charles Payne writes out, he put this out on Twitter on Friday, quote, you have to ask press secretary while you're at it to ask why black Americans are sinking in the midst of this job boom. In July, 39,000 more African Americans out of the labor force, meaning that they've been unemployed long enough that their unemployment benefits have expired and they've given up hope of finding jobs. And there were 68,000 fewer black Americans employed. So 39,000 dropped out of the labor force, 68,000 lost their jobs. And Charles Payne concludes it this way, quote, I get this stuff is only newsworthy when GOP is in White House, but some care all the time. Thanks. Yeah, uh, some people do care all the time. None of them have press credentials and uh, visit the White House or write for any major metropolitan newspaper or any national cable news outlet. Really is amazing how these people work. But yeah, I wanted to mention that just because 
It's worth noting. Uh, on the other front, what is it? what's her name? Brittany Griner. Griner? Griner? I think it's Griner. They should call her a WNBA star. Maybe she is a WNBA star. I honestly have no idea. I couldn't name you for serious money. Yeah, could I do it? No. If you just ask me cold right now, could I name a WNBA team? And you had $100,000 on the table. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't, think, I can't even think of a decent guess that isn't... <laughs> Hilarious and wildly sexist. I'm just kidding, mostly. I can't think of a WNBA team. Whatever. Uh, she's always referred to as a WNBA star. I have to uh, take their word for it. But it could be that, you know, she's a WNBA star the way that uh, everybody on the Food Network who you've never heard of is a celebrity chef. Like, well, I once made a, a sandwich for David Bowie, so I'm a celebrity chef. Like, I don't, I don't think the guy at the McDonald's who served him a Big Mac... I served a Big Mac to, uh, well, I guess a veggie Big Mac to Paul McCartney is a celebrity chef, but okay. Maybe she's a great player. Maybe she's not. I don't know. But she was convicted, they say. She's been found guilty by a court of law in Russia of smuggling drugs. And I say uh, that's a really weird way to say that she pleaded guilty. Because she pleaded guilty. She pled guilty. I did this. Yes, I did this. It's not the jury coming back and saying, guilty, we find the defendant guilty. That is, we believe the defendant's confession. She confessed to it because she traveled with her THC-laced vape cartridges. Stupid. Stupid. I could see if you're not particularly, uh, if you're not surrounded by good people, maybe have an agent who tells you, hey, you're going to Russia to play basketball. I know you like to smoke the weed, but it's illegal over there and you'll get into a lot of trouble for doing it. So don't do it. Don't bring any with you. Even Maybe somebody did tell her that and she thought, oh, well, I can do it anyway because it's legal where I'm from. Your laws don't travel with you. They don't travel with you. So don't travel with your, uh, even your medical marijuana. Don't be stupid. Investigate where you're going and find, if you really can't live without it, investigate where you're going before you go. And then really question, do you really want to go there in the first place? But the Washington Post had this tweet. It's amazing how they conflate certain things. Here's what you need to know about the Russia-Ukraine war today. Colon. Like, what do you need to... Okay, there's, there's developments in the Russia-Ukraine war today. The second point is three ships are carrying grain from Ukraine's Black Sea ports as the deal to lift Russia's blockade on Ukrainian grain moves ahead. That's a good story, and that's actually relevant to the world and, uh, you know, involves the Russia-Ukraine war. So, great. They're allowing grain to flow again. Good news. But the first point is a little bit, I'd say, off-topic. The first point is Biden described Brittany Griner's verdict as, quote, unacceptable. It's not a verdict. She confessed to it. She did it. Now, you could think it's garbage that she got sentenced to nine years, and it is garbage that she got sentenced to nine years by American standards. But the law in Russia calls for this. You can say the law in Russia sucks because everything in Russia sucks. But that's the law in Russia. You could say the law in Russia is applied unequally because the law in Russia is applied unequally. But it doesn't matter. They say you get uh, up to 10 years. She got nine. 
It's garbage. She's being used as a political pawn, but she wouldn't be used as a political pawn if she hadn't put herself in that situation by smuggling drugs into the country. She did it. That's the thing that's lost in all of this. She actually did it. Now, you could argue that she shouldn't be punished for it because you don't like the law. That's a stupid, childish argument, but it's an argument you could make. Or you could say that punishment is too severe, and I would agree with that punishment is too severe. But you can't say that it is unacceptable that she was found guilty, that a court actually believed her when she confessed. Now, she confessed because she was probably hoping, boy, I hope that if I confess, they'll be nicer to me and give me a shorter sentence. That's all well and good. That's fine. That's a strategic move on her part. Uh, it's a blunder, seemingly, but still you could have done it. But you really only do that when you've got such a weak... Look, the maximum she could have gotten was 10 years, right? She got nine. I think it was like maximum was nine and a half years. She got nine. If your lawyer's sitting there and say, well, we could take this to trial and try and prove your innocence, but you, and you end up getting essentially the maximum anyway by pleading the deal, your, your, your lawyer isn't very good, or you didn't have a very good case to begin with. Probably because you did it. She admitted all along she did it. She then changed her plea to guilty and tried to say she did it by mistake, and she didn't mean to do it, and blah, 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 blah. All well and good, but the ignorance of the law, even in another country, does not mean you are ex- exempt from it. And so you have this situation where she is facing serious time. It's garbage. She'll probably get traded for something. But Russia is going to make as much hay as possible about this. I don't care, really, what ends up being done with this. I just look at it as don't lose sight of the fact that she did it. She did it. Wildly stupid. Went to Russia with illegal drugs because they're legal here where she lives. That's stupid. Speaking of stupid, this one from Variety again. It's not very often you get to a couple shows in a row where you're talking about something in Variety, but you are. This involves Kevin Spacey. A judge has ordered Kevin Spacey to pay House of Cards production company MRC nearly $31 million dollars for alleged sexual misconduct behind the scenes of the Netflix White House drama. Now, I don't get this. How can a judge order somebody to pay a settlement? Alleged. Did you prove it? If they proved it, then fine. But the allegation, big deal. Kevin Spacey was accused a lot. He wasn't found guilty of stuff. You can be accused of anything. I could accuse you of everything. It doesn't matter if I don't prove it. If you're not convicted, O.J. Simpson, leak in the eyes of the law, is not guilty of murder. Spacey, who played Frank Underwood, was kicked off the series during its sixth season after facing allegations that he'd had sexually assaulted and preyed upon young men, including a House of Cards production assistant, who said Spacey groped him, prompting MRC's investigation. Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Mel Red Racana confirmed an award previously handed down by an arbitrator in August or in October of 2020, which consisted of around $29.5 million in damages and $1.5 million in costs and fees. 
MRC had argued that Spacey owed them millions in lost profits because his misconduct forced them to remove him from the sixth season of the show, and it had to trim the season from 13 episodes to eight. You still put it, it still sucked. I mean, you put it on Netflix. It's not like you're making commercial money, but I don't know. It seems like, you ha- I mean, an arbitrator, if they went to arbitration, if they agreed to arbitration or whatever the contract was, I could sort of understand that. But to sit there and say, uh, these allegations are so serious that you got to pony up 31 million bucks seems, seems a bit much. Prove the allegations. If you prove the allegations and then you want to punish them, fine. But if it's just uh, we have these allegations, well, hell, I could accuse anybody of anything. Seems a little bit weird to me. But Hollywood justice, it's hard to really get all that worked up about it. All those people deserve each other anyway. By the way, really quickly, since we're talking in general about losers and unemployable losers and whatnot, John Fetterman, who is running for, is the Democratic nominee for Senate out in Pennsylvania, he's running around talking about... uh, how uh, sanctuary cities makes everybody safer. That's his word. That makes everybody safer. He's lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. He uh, he grew up a rich kid. More importantly, he grew up a parasitic rich kid who lived off of his parents well into his 40s. A loser. Like Bernie Sanders is the only person I'd ever heard of who got kicked out of a hippie commune for not doing work. Like, seriously, look that up. It's fun. How lazy do you have to be to be Bernie Sanders? You know, like, I'm not going to plant anything. I'm not going to do anything. No, 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 no. All right, well, you got to go. What do you have to do? to Like, you could not shower for a year and you're welcome in a hippie commune. But he wouldn't carry his own weight. Well, Fetterman, was, his family was giving him tens of thousands of dollars a year. He's a rich kid, of course. He pretends to be, you know, just this uh, normal guy, uh, underprivileged. He wears a hoodie all the time. He shaves his head bald. He's got to go. He looks like a guy. He once pulled a shotgun on a black guy out for a jog as he was mayor of a town in uh, outside of Pittsburgh. Because he was running, he thought, well, a black guy running, got to be guilty of something. He's super duper uh, progressive in every way, shape or form. And he's just like Karl Marx living off of his parents. Karl Marx lived off his his rich father while whining and complaining and hating capitalism. This is a fault of his parents, Marx's parents, and it's a fault of Fetterman's parents. But he bought a loft off of his sister. This is just an example. He bought a loft off of his sister because for a dollar. For a dollar. Six years earlier, his sister had paid $70,000 for it. I'm sure the IRS would perk up and go, what the hell's going on there? If that, If you did that, But it wasn't until he became lieutenant governor that he stopped getting money from his parents. (laughs) What a loser. Like, he's the Democrat. He actually is the Democrat. He's like, this is the prototypical Democrat. He's 52 years old. He's now making $217,610 a year. A testament to the greatness of this country that he hates so much is that even somebody with no discernible skills, a complete and total loser who for a decade while he was mayor of a city still couldn't take care of himself without his parents cutting him a check is now the nominee for his party for the United States Senate and uh, has a job making almost a quarter of a million dollars a year. No skills, no talent. He certainly didn't get by on looks. 
He buys bulk hoodies to try and seem like a normal guy the way Michael Moore puts on a baseball hat to try and pretend that he's just an aw shucks guy when in fact he's a multi-multi-millionaire. Fetterman is the same way. How many times are Democrats going to fall for this shtick? I guess the only answer is as many times as people try it because they're that stupid. And I just saw this. This is beautiful. This is liberalism in a nutshell. New York Post. Mayor Eric Adams is collecting headshots of potential city workers in a thinly veiled effort to increase diversity, according to a new report. Don't you love that? All right. I don't care. Are they qualified or not? That doesn't really matter. But um, what do you look like? Adams has requested city agencies to provide photographs of potential hires to City Hall as candidates go through the interview process for city jobs ranging from assistant commissioner to departmental press secretary, Politico reported Thursday. Several unnamed city officials told the outlet that the request is clearly an effort to hire more diverse staffers. However, Adams maintains that it will merely help him recognize his employees in the sprawling city workforce. There are thousands of people that work in New York City. He's going to sit there and study them all. He's not asking for pictures of current employees, the people you know that literally are walking the halls now. It's potential employees, which to me seems like a massive violation. And uh, as people are hired based off of that, a major, major liability for the city, but you've got to understand you're playing with house money here. So it doesn't matter, at least not to Mayor Adams. He doesn't give a damn. Somebody will not get a job because of their skin color. They will then sue the city of New York. The city of New York will fight it, and they'll go, we're not doing that. It would be rama, and it'll be proven, and this story will be part of the problem, and it will be boom. Yeah, there you go. Here's your multi-million dollar settlement, and Mayor Eric Adams will be no no poorer for it because it's not his money. You're playing with house money. Look, I would I don't like gambling. Mostly because I don't like losing, right? I don't want to lose my money. But if I had somebody, some sugar daddy or some government credit card, we're like, you know what? Go, go to town. I like playing blackjack. Sit down and play some blackjack. I can play poker for a while and I get bored, but I play blackjack for a while. I could do slots. If it was somebody else's money, I'd do all of it. I'd learn how to play baccarat. I'd, I enjoy roulette on occasion. But if... Uh, if somebody said, here's the uh, corporate Amex, here's the corporate black card, whatever you do, fine, don't worry about it. No consequences. If you win, now you get that money. Actually, even if I didn't get the money, I'd still gamble. But if you win, you get the money, but don't worry if you lose, you, you don't lose the money. Why, I'd be in Vegas right now, or I would, having just been in Atlantic City, I would not have gotten out of Atlantic City as quickly as humanly possible. I would have stuck around and enjoyed myself losing other people's money. So these leftists, they can do all of these wildly discriminatory things that eventually will lead to multi-million dollar settlements with people they've screwed over, that they've discriminated against. And, uh, I mean, maybe eventually they'll replace enough judges where... It won't be a crime. It won't be against federal law. They'll just declare it, even though it clearly is. It'll be cool. You can discriminate against certain people based on their skin color. That's different. 
Speaking, I, 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 you just look at this stuff and you go, how do you people live with yourselves? How do you people live with yourselves? And I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. Several unnamed city officials told the outlet that the request is clearly an effort to hire more diverse staffers. Yeah. Quote, everyone knew uh, what it was. There was no question. It was the first thing everybody said. Quote, we're going to start counting complexions now. One recently departed City Hall employee told Politico. The majority of officials interviewed by the outlet who requested anonymity to speak freely about the internal measure said they supported a more diverse workforce, but worried the practice is already causing the Adams administration to make hiring decisions with a greater emphasis on race, race and ethnicity than on merit. It, you know, you got to love it. It's all liberals. Like, oh, it's a greater emphasis on it. No, the emphasis on it. The only reason anybody should be hired anywhere ever is because of merit. Can you do the job or can you not do the job? If you can't do the job, I don't care that you bring diversity to the platform. Who cares? You can't do the job. If you were interviewing a group of people you're putting together, let's just say you're putting together a team of top-notch, I'm trying to think, over the weekend I watched professional knife throwing on ESPN. It was like hypnotic. I couldn't turn it off. And then there was professional tag, I swear to God, and, uh, and cornhole. So if you're putting together a professional tag team, Pursuit, I think it's called. It really, I mean, these guys do hardcore parkour. And if you say, you know what? I don't care if somebody can jump and contort their body to fit through this little cubby hole that people run through in, in trying to evade being tagged. I don't care if they get winded thinking. I don't care if they are, you know, 70 years old and using a cane. I want a diverse team, you're going to lose. You're going to be eliminated in the first round. There's no question about it. Why? Because the only thing that matters in that game is if you can run, whether or not you can get away from somebody trying to tag you through this obstacle course, or whether or not you can run and catch somebody that's trying to avoid being tagged in that obstacle course. Nothing else matters. There were French teams, a team from Czech Republic. They're all over the world, these teams. Some of them had uh, uniformity of skin tone. Some of them had a bunch of different skin tones. The teams that won were the best at evading getting tagged, period, end of story, because that's the only way you can score points. It didn't say, well, you, 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 the Czech Republic team, you definitely did a better job of avoiding getting tagged than anybody else. However... The French team has like three different skin tones, whereas the Czech Republic only really has one slightly different variance in between. So we advance France in this tournament. No, that's not how life works. It's how liberal mindset works. It's the idea of equity. Equity is equality of outcome. It means absolutely nothing as far as your hard work, your ability, your merit, what you deserve, what you've earned. It has to do, you can work your whole life, and then they look at you and say, yes, nobody can do this better than you. There isn't a single other human being on the planet who can do this better than you can. It's just a damn shame that you are of the wrong skin color. If you were of a different... Uh, skin color, you would definitely be uh, the guy we'd go to. But you're not, so sorry about that. But you'd be disgusted. What's the difference between that 
and what Democrats did decades ago with Jim Crow. What would be the difference then? There's not much. There's really nothing, actually, when you get down to it. But this is the mindset of the left. This is how they work. You are not your... Now, they can tell, and they do this, and they embrace this because they look at somebody with their skin tone, and they can tell a lot, less so now, thanks to Joe Biden's failures. But you can tell a lot of about somebody's politics, especially in some place like New York. There probably aren't that many black conservatives in Manhattan. So if you're playing that game, you go, no, it's in the name of diversity. You will get a whole bunch of different skin colors. You will. And you'll be able to congratulate yourself at your various upper west and east side cocktails about how wonderfully uh, progressive you are. You won't get any diversity of thought whatsoever, which is really the only diversity that matters in the grand scheme of things. And it is the one diversity that scares the absolute hell out of Democrats. They try to pretend it's not. They try to pretend they're open-minded. Walk into a group of leftists and mention Clarence Thomas, and you'll watch them start to twitch. They'll, start to tw- they'll try to control it. They can't. Throw in a Condoleezza Rice. Throw in a Thomas Sowell, and they will be beside themselves with rage. So... This is who Democrats are, ladies and gentlemen. When they show you who they are, believe them. I do want to play this Dick Cheney audio just to uh, look. The guy's what is he going to do? Release a not release a video in support of his daughter. Daughter called up, Dad, will you help me? No, no, I won't. I won't help you. He believes it though. He believes what he says. He's free to believe whatever he says. I don't really. I don't base any vote I would ever cast on what Dick Cheney has to say. I recommend nobody do that on anybody, what they have to say. Investigate yourself. Be influenced in what you look into for yourself by what somebody says. But as far as your actions, those are your responsibility all on your own. But uh, Dick Cheney released a camp, or Liz Cheney released a campaign video for her. Uh, she's got uh, Tuesday is her primary Probably not going to go very well for her, to be honest with you. So here's dad coming in, trying to help his daughter. In our nation's 246-year history, there has never been an individual who is a greater threat to our republic than Donald Trump. He tried to steal the last election using lies and violence to keep himself in power after the voters had rejected him. He is a coward. A real man wouldn't lie to his supporters. He lost his election, and he lost big. I know it, he knows it, and deep down, I think most Republicans know it. Lynn and I are so proud of Liz for standing up for the truth, doing what's right, honoring her oath to the Constitution, when so many in our party are too scared to do so. Liz is fearless. She never backs down from a fight. There is nothing more important she will ever do than lead the effort to make sure Donald Trump is never again near the Oval Office. And she will succeed. I am Dick Cheney. I proudly voted for my daughter. I hope you will, too. I'm Liz Cheney, and I approve this message. Yeah, okay, missing from that is anything that she wants to do aside from she opposes Donald Trump. That's it. Why would you run a campaign ad that highlights the thing that most annoys your voters and nothing else? And literally nothing. It doesn't even mention the state. The state, by the way, is Wyoming. There's some question as to whether or not Lynn Cheney really or Liz Cheney really lives there. 
because you know she mostly spends most of her time in Northern Virginia. But so you sit there and you go, what? "Okay, this is all. This is your closing argument." Hey, I know you all hate me because I spend all of my time talking about Donald Trump rather than really fighting Democrats, but I want you to know that my dad will now talk about me fighting Republicans instead of Democrats. Uh, okay, I, I mean, that's a strategy. It's an interesting strategy. Stupid strategy, but strategy nonetheless, I suppose. Congratulations. Now we want to turn our gaze to uh, gaze, G-A-Z-E. I just realized that might be misinterpreted. Our gaze toward monkeypox. Washington Post says, it's amazing the lengths to which the left will go to deny any sort of reality. No, that, that dude really is a chick. The dude is the best chick, the best chick ever. And now on monkeypox, a headline, as monkeypox strikes gay men, officials debate warnings to limit partners. <laughs> They're hey, you get you get monkeypox through gay sex. Yeah, but should we say that? Because we wouldn't want to stigmatize gay. No, you want to inform people about how to avoid it or not? I don't know if you if you hated gay people and you wanted them to really suffer, you'd keep quiet about it. You'd say, hey, you know what? Keep doing what you're doing. That's great. You're going to be covered in pustules and in a lot of pain. But uh, yeah, you'll be free. Now this whole story is about. A uh, there's apparently a street a sex festival out in San Francisco called Dory or Door Alley. I don't know D O R E. I don't know how you pronounce it. It's a kink and fetish festival. All it really is is a bunch of gay dudes having sex with each other, like multiple multiple partners. And it is a petri dish for monkeypox, as you might imagine. And this whole story is about how well we wouldn't want to point out that you can get. Monkeypox, and this is how you get monkeypox, because it would stigmatize gay people. Like, oh, okay. I would think that pox all over your body, pustules and pain and itch, and probably the scars that go along with that forever would be a bigger stigma that you'd want to avoid. But eh, what are you going to do? And it says uh, many public health officials and activists who spent decades on the front lines of the battle against HIV/AIDS say they learned it is futile to tell people to have less sex. It costs nothing. And it is the one sure way to not get it, to not get AIDS, not get, uh, to get, not get uh, monkeypoxes, don't have wild, random sex with strangers. That stance puts them at odds with the World Health Organization, a top New York epidemiologist who condemned the city's messaging, and others within the gay community who say gay men deserved direct warnings before it's too late to end the outbreak. Oh, no. See, the left, they believe that they have everybody else's best interest at heart, and more importantly, everybody else is just too damn stupid to know what's good for them. Now, this is my favorite, one of my favorite parts. Quote, it was devaluing gay men's lives and health not to warn gay men, said Dan Savage, a sex columnist who has criticized the public health response to monkeypox. Quote, now here we are really on the verge of monkeypox being an endemic in gay communities all over the world. And how is that for a stigma? Yeah. Now, here comes the best part. 
Savage, who is no prude as a proponent of non-monogamous relationships and exploring fetishes, said public health officials should have advised gay men to curb their sex lives at the start of the outbreak in May that experts suspect was supercharged by large festivals in Europe with rampant sexual activity. They're all just basically nonstop orgies with, hey, let's go do this thing. Uh, Don't tell me your name. I don't want to know. Savage is taking his own advice. See, he's he's so serious about wanting to curb the spread of monkeypox by uh, ending random gay hookups. He says, Savage is taking his own advice, limiting sex to his husband and his boyfriend and skipping San Francisco's Dory Alley Festival this year. Door Alley Festival. It's out, I assume it's the alley. Don't you love it? I am personally making a sacrifice. I am... Ending random anonymous sex for a while. Uh, just going to limit it to my husband and my boyfriend. Oh, I mean, unless they bring in somebody. And then it'll be somebody else. But don't worry, I'm, I'm leading by example. There's a pretty easy way to avoid these things. Just don't do it. Maybe wait a while. And it's, maybe, maybe, just maybe. Here's a crazy idea. <clears throat> Get to know somebody before you have sex with them. Just a little bit. Just a little. Take a week and go, hey, uh, you got any pustules? No? You haven't done anything for... All right, then maybe you're safe. But I would point out that these are the same leftists who cannot tell... We will not tell gay men to not have random sex with 10 or 15 people over the course of a weekend. We will not do that. That would be stigmatizing. But during COVID, you need to put a mask on. You need to stay six feet away from everybody. You need to stay in your house. Your kids can't go to school. You can't go to work. Your business, in fact, is closed uh, because of COVID. Don't do that. But monkeypox, no. Even just pointing out that, you know, gay sex is really the primary way that you get this. That's too stigmatizing. We wouldn't want to do that, would we? No. Democrats wonder why they're held in such contempt by so many people. All right, that's enough for today. That's enough of that. That's enough of that. But now we're back to live-ish, well, later-ish, to announce the winner of the autographed book contest, ladies and gentlemen, for the, between the former vice president and the current Kurt Schlichter. And the winner is the former vice president, Dan Quayle, and it's won by Roger Falloon. Congratulations, Roger Falloon. You have a message on Patreon from yours truly about needing your address. Uh, congratulations on that. We'll get that book out to you as quickly as possible. That means Kurt Schlichter returns to uh, fight another day. Kurt Schlichter's will be back. The fall and rise of America this week goes up to somebody against somebody worthy of Kurt Schlichter. It is Kurt Schlichter versus Greg Gutfeld, ladies and gentlemen. Back from, uh, this is uh, this is an old book. This might be one of his first books. The Bible of Unspeakable Truths. He's listed as Greg Gutfeld, host of Fox News' Red Eye. So it's uh, been a while. He's still got that uh, crinkle on his nose that kind of looks like a bridge of glasses. But it also is, has a foreword by Penn Jillette. I'm not sure Penn Jillette would write a forward for him anymore. Anyway, Kurt Schlichter versus Greg Gutfeld, both autographed by the authors. Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast and at Derek Hunter 
www.locals.com. Best of luck and may the force be with all of you. One of you is going to win. One, well, two of you are going to win both of those books or one each, whatever. You know how it works. Anyway, appreciate you listening. It's, you know, it's the weekend, man. What the hell are you going to do? All right. Let's, we'll get through this week together somehow. I don't know how, but somehow we will. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.